Good day, everyone. This is Pastor Ken Richards. I did mention last week that this week we'll be starting in Daniel chapter 7, but I've decided to push that back another week in order to answer a very important question, which obviously is from a very interested listener. Now, the question is, Good morning, Pastor Richards. Blessings to you and family. You mentioned that there are many false teachings that are being brought into the churches to deceive people. Can you tell me what these false teachings are? Okay, that's a good question. Well, I will just touch on one today because I wouldn't have time to go into all. I'll just touch on one as an example and in future we'll be able to go through others in due time because I do not want to just touch on something and go, touch and go. I want to give you a good background in it. Now, in terms of using the Bible to show how false it is, we have done that before on the radio and we'll do that again and again in time. But since I spoke about infiltration in the church's last session, I will give a bit of background in answering this question. So in answer to this question, I have decided to title today's study, The Great Decoy. Now, you might be wondering, what is a decoy? A decoy is something that is used to distract your attention so that you can be tricked and trapped and destroyed. In other words, it's like somebody wants to do you harm. And so they get you to focus your attention in one direction when the real danger is coming from the opposite direction. They might say, hey, look over there, look in that direction. There's something very exciting going to happen over there. Keep looking. Don't take your eyes from there. Something really, really marvelous is going to take place at any moment now. And while you're distracted and your attention is fixed in that direction, they have someone sneak up behind you and put a knife in your back. Now, that's not quite a pleasant example, but at least it illustrates how a decoy works. It's something that's used to distract your attention from what you really should be looking out for to keep you looking elsewhere so that you can be ambushed when you least expect it. Armies have used this strategy in warfare. They create a decoy to cause the enemy to believe that the attack will be coming from one direction when the real danger is elsewhere. It's a means of tricking you so you might be overthrown and destroyed. Even from the Bible, I can give you an example when there was a decoy that was used in warfare. For example, when we turn to the book of Joshua, chapter 8, we read about Joshua leading his men into battle against a city called Ai. A-I. Ai. Now, they had been badly beaten before by the army of Ai, but now they had regrouped and come to attack the city again. But in order to conquer the city, they had to use a decoy. And here is what they did. Joshua divided his army and he had 5,000 of his men to the west side of the city. So while these 5,000 were hiding out there among the trees to the west of the city, he then took the main portion of his army and went to the north of the city where they could be seen by those inside the city. So the morning comes, the king of Ai is awakened and he sees the army of Joshua to the north of the city. And being a well-fortified city, and having defeated them once before, he felt confident of a complete victory, this time against Joshua and his men. And so they opened the gates of the city 
and the king and his men rushed out. His army surged out and went on the attack against Joshua and his men in the north. Now Joshua and his men pretended as if they were afraid, and they started to retreat. And as they did this, the king of Ai and his army started chasing after them, thinking that they were defeating them. And the people in the city also watching realized what was happening and started cheering. And yes, and they rushed out of the city also. They run out excitedly to witness their king and his army defeating Joshua and his army. And so the city was left almost empty and the gates left open. Then the 5,000 men of Joshua who were hiding out in the west realized the signal was given and they rushed into the city and set it on fire. So when the king of Ai looked back and saw that his whole city was on fire and the people saw that their city was ablaze, they realized that they had been tricked. Joshua and his men suddenly stopped retreating and they turned around for the battle. The king of Ai and his soldiers realized now that they were caught in the middle with 5,000 men of Joshua behind him and Joshua and the rest of his men facing them and his city was on fire. But it was too late and they were destroyed. Now what did Joshua do? He used himself and some of his men as a decoy to draw the king of Ai out of his place of safety and let them believe that the main threat was to the north while secretly Joshua had 5,000 men to the west who would slip into the city and set it on fire. And by the time they realized what was happening, it was too late. They were destroyed because the decoy worked perfectly to draw them out of their place of safety. Remember, today's topic is the great decoy. And the devil, dear listener, uses decoys to dear friends to draw you away from your place of safety, which is the truth. And one of these decoys is this teaching of a secret rapture and of an antichrist that is to show up sometime after some supposedly secret rapture takes place. I will tell you a little bit about how this doctrine was started, who started it, and why it was started, and why it is so dangerous. We talked about the reformers in last week's study, how they realized that the system of antichrist was indeed this system of the Roman religion that many of them were even a part of. They were part of it. And they found this out after they started studying the Bible for themselves. And realizing this, they came out of it and they launched what was later to be called the Protestant Reformation, even risking their lives in the process. Many stood up for the truth and were persecuted and even killed for the cause of their faith. And yet the Reformation movement grew and spread until eventually over a million people in various parts of Europe broke away from the Roman church and organized themselves into churches which became known as the Protestant churches. We spoke about that last week. Now, without exception, all of the Protestant leaders of, of the Reformers who started these various churches knew who and what the Antichrist was. They knew that the Antichrist was not referring to just a mere individual, but the whole system of false religion led by an individual, disguised also as the true church, while being used by Satan to put itself in the position of Christ and to corrupt and to destroy the true Christianity. 
And how did they find this out? How did the reformers find this out? By studying the Bible and seeing that what the Bible warned about in many places was being fulfilled right before their very eyes. And in their writings, they made this very plain. For example, let me just give you a sampling of some of the writings of some of the reformers regarding what they themselves wrote about the Roman church, the Pope's system of religion, or what you might call it the papacy. Martin Luther, who is usually considered the father of the Reformation, he wrote in Luther's First Principles, pages 196-197, he wrote, Nothing else than the kingdom of Babylon and of the very Antichrist is this system. For who is the man of sin and the son of perdition? But he who by his teaching and his ordinances increases the sin and perdition of souls in the church, while he yet sits in the church as if he were God. All these conditions have now for many ages been fulfilled by the papal tyranny. Luther wrote that. John Calvin wrote this also in the 16th century. I quote, Though it be admitted that Rome was once the mother of all churches, yet from the time when it began to be the seat of Antichrist, it has ceased to be what it was before. Some persons think we are too severe when we call the Roman pontiff Antichrist. But those who are of this opinion do not consider that they bring the same charge against Paul himself after whom we speak and whose language we adopt. I shall briefly show that Paul's words in 2 Thessalonians 2 are not capable of any other interpretation than that which applies them to the papacy. This he wrote in Institutes of the Christian Religion, Volume 3, page 149. John Knox, another reformer in the 16th century, he wrote, I no more doubt but that this is the synagogue of Satan, and the head thereof called the Pope to be the man of sin of whom the Apostle Paul speaks. He wrote this in the History of the Reformation of Religion in Scotland, page 65. Thomas Cranmer, another reformer in the 16th century, who was one of those who were killed. He was burnt alive for his faith, and he stood firm for God and held on to his faith even to death. He wrote, Whereof it follows that Rome to be the seat of Antichrist and the Pope to be the very Antichrist himself. I could prove the very same by many other scriptures. Works of Cranmer, Volume 1, page 6 and 7. Now, George Negrinus, he wrote this also. The Jesuits claim to be sorely offended and have taken my declaration as an insult and blasphemy in branding the papacy as the Antichrist of which Daniel, Paul, Peter, John, and even Christ prophesied. But this is as true as it is that Jesus is the Messiah. And I am prepared to show it even by their own definition of the word Antichrist. The Baptist Confession of Faith, written in 1689, it says the Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the church in whom, by the appointment of the Father, all power for the calling institution and order of government of the church is invested in a supreme and sovereign manner. Neither can the Pope of Rome in any sense be the head thereof, but is that Antichrist, that man of sin and son of perdition, that exalts himself in the church against Christ. This is the Baptist Confession of Faith. The Westminster Confession of Faith, written in 1646, says, There is no other head of the church but the Lord Jesus Christ, nor can the Pope of Rome in any sense be head thereof, but is that Antichrist, 
that man of sin and son of perdition that exalts himself in the church against Christ and all that is called God. That's the Westminster Confession of Faith. And there are many, many, many more. From many churches that I can mention, the founders of these churches wrote exactly in line with what we've been just reading. And there are many more reformers who knew the truth that the Pope was the leader of the Antichrist system, including William Tyndale, George Wycliffe, Philip Melanchthon, John Wesley, Charles Spurgeon, many others who came along through the years. Even all the translators who came together for the translation of the King James Bible believed this, and they wrote these things also. And these whom we've mentioned, these are men who were some of the reformers through whom God had raised up the Protestant churches. But these churches are not protesting anymore. Why? They have been led away by a decoy and become deceived. Go into any of these churches today and ask about the Antichrist that the Bible warned about, and they will tell you, well, oh, there is going to be a secret rapture sometime in the future, and then the Antichrist will show up afterwards and reign for seven years and make a league with the Jews and, and a whole bunch of nonsense which has nothing to do with what the Bible teaches. And you have to ask yourself, how is it that the founding fathers of these churches, all without exception, men who risked their lives for the start of these churches, knew what the Antichrist was and who. And today, these leaders and pastors of these same churches don't know what their founding fathers knew. They have been given a decoy, and they swallowed the bait, hook, line, and sinker. I challenge you, dear friends, go ask any of them, whether it's the Baptists, the Methodists, the Congregationalists, the Calvinists, the Lutherans, the Pentecostals, the Moravians, the Anglicans, and you can go on and on and on and on. Just go church after church, denomination after denomination, big or small, and maybe even the very church that you might be a part of. Ask them, and they will tell you about a secret rapture after which a future Antichrist is to appear. You don't hear your leaders pointing to the Antichrist power and enlightening the people of it and what to expect when the very founders of these churches had already shown from the scriptures who it was and what it represented. So the churches which were founded by men who risked their life to expose the system of Antichrist and warn the people about it and what it is doing and what it is getting ready to do so that they could avoid its deceptions. And yet today, if you go into these churches and ask them about Antichrist, they will tell you about a secret rapture to come sometime down the road after which Antichrist will make his appearance. A decoy has taken place. And just like with the city of Ai, people are being set up for a major disaster. I mentioned last week, dear listeners, that the Reformation took place and in the 16th century and many broke away from the Roman church and formed the Protestant churches. And that the Roman church convened a series of meetings in the 16th century called the Council of Trent, which lasted for 18 years during which many detailed plans were laid as to the takeover and to have a controlling influence over certain sectors of the society, in banking, in healthcare, in education, and in governments. Long-term plans which were being quietly developed and put in place over the last 500 years. 
But among these plans, most importantly, was what is commonly known as the Counter-Reformation, to counteract what took place under the Reformation, to take over the churches and to bring them back under the control of Rome. Now, we might think that this might mean that they will all merge into one and become Catholic churches, but no, that would be too open. It has to be done in a more cunning and stealthy way. They would have to be taken over in such a way that they still maintain their name, they still maintain their separate identities, but they have the teachings of Rome within them, and they have the agents of Rome in these churches also working for Rome. Now track with me here. If an upstanding citizen or seemingly upstanding citizen in the community commits a horrendous crime, say a murder, and they don't want to be found out, what will they do? They will do everything to point the evidence away from themselves. They're not going to take the body home and parade it on their front lawn. No, they're going to maybe throw it in a lake or something so that it might look like the person drowned or maybe somebody else did it. Anything to deflect attention away from themselves as to the true culprit. To get others to look in another direction instead of looking at them as the suspect. It is about getting the evidence to point in another direction, to lead away from the truth. That is the principle of using a decoy. And so, one of the plans during the Council of Trent was this, and let me state it from their mindset. We can't burn the Bibles anymore because the printing press has been invented and Bibles are now widespread all over. But what we can do is to let them keep their Bibles but we will corrupt the interpretation of it in such a way that they will not understand it. We will come up with a reinterpretation of the text of prophecy that exposed the Antichrist and its work. The Reformers have already pointed us out as the Antichrist, so we know that it will take a few generations to pass away to undo that damage. But we will insert new teachings into the churches reinterpreting what the Bible says about the Antichrist so that the people in the churches will not have a clue. And after a few generations, those who are in the churches some years from now won't know the original teachings and they will accept what we have given them. We will point the finger in a different direction so that we can operate without being suspected. That was merely stating the plan from the mindset of the planners. So yes, dear friends, that is the idea. And so the challenge was put out to come up with new teachings for new interpretations to be invented that would reinterpret the Bible's teachings concerning who the Antichrist system really refers to. And a number of individuals came forward to the challenge. One person came up with a teaching which is called preterism. Pre means before, as in the case of something already happened. And the first person to start this idea was a Spanish Catholic Jesuit by the name of Luis Alcazar. So under this system of preterism which he started, it was taught that all the prophecies concerning Antichrist were already fulfilled over 2,000 years ago during the time of the Greeks. You see, there was a Greek king called Antiochus Epiphanes. And he did some very terrible things back in his day. 
And so the Catholic priests started to spread the idea that Antiochus was the Antichrist. They made all those teachings point to that person. So now, if all of that already happened more than 2,000 years ago, you won't be looking for an Antichrist today. This was a desperate attempt to point the finger away from the truth about who and what is the Antichrist. And so some people accepted that, not many, because the Bible says that the Antichrist will be around and will be destroyed by the brightness of Christ's coming. So they needed a better decoy. Many different ideas were passed around back and forth. But then came along Francisco Ribeiro, another Jesuit priest, who started another version in 1553. He came up with another system which was later called Futurism. Instead of putting it all in the past, he put it all in the future. He says like, oh well, the Antichrist has not come yet. That is something that will happen way later in the future. First, a secret rapture is going to happen, a sudden silent whisking away of believers to heaven, and then those who are left behind after this secret rapture will have to face the Antichrist, because it is after the secret rapture that the Antichrist will show up. And then there will be seven years of tribulation after the Antichrist shows up, and all the people who didn't make it in the secret rapture will have to fight against the Antichrist, and then they will have another chance to be saved when Jesus comes seven years later after the Antichrist shows up. I tell you, friends, the Bible teaches no such thing. These are Hollywood fairy tales. The apostles of Christ all preached about his return, but never taught any such thing about a secret rapture and an Antichrist showing up afterwards. In fact, even the Old Testament prophets showed that the Antichrist's power would come up out of the ancient Roman Empire as a religious system that would blaspheme the name of God, and this will be clearly shown even when we get into Daniel chapter 7, because even the Old Testament prophets knew this and wrote about it. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when he was now ascending up to heaven and the disciples stood watching him go up, the angels showed up, Acts chapter 1 and verse 11, and they said, You men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, whom you've seen go into heaven, shall so come again in like manner. In other words, in the same way as you have seen him go into heaven. Visibly and audibly, not secretly and silently with some supposed Antichrist person showing up afterwards. No. All of this was for the purpose of pointing the finger away from a present reigning Antichrist system which was doing all the evil things that the Bible said it would do while getting people to look to the past or to the future for some Antichrist person to show up. A diversionary tactic, hiding behind a lie, behind a decoy. And after Francisco Ribeiro started this idea, it was later picked up by another priest by the name of Cardinal Robert Bellarmine who took this teaching and moved it forward to the next level. He died in 1641. Then another came along by the name of James H. Todd and spread this teaching some more. After he died, in 1689, then John Henry Newman came along. John Henry Newman was the Archbishop of Canterbury, the head of the Church of England. And because of his position, he did much to spread this teaching throughout England. 
But in later years, it was discovered that he was really secretly a member of the Catholic Church, and that is why he later switched over and was made officially a cardinal in the Catholic Church later in his life. Cardinal John Henry Newman. Think about that. Just imagine how deceptive that is to be the highest-ranking official in a certain church for many years, pushing the teachings of the Roman Church, only for it to be discovered much later in life that you were really an agent of the Roman Church. But then, after Newman, others came along spreading this teaching further. It was brought to America. Men like Edward Irving, working for the Catholic Church. He died around 1834. Then Samuel Maitland. He died around 1866. Then John Nelson Darby, who wrote his own Bible translation, inserting these teachings which originated with the Catholic Jesuit priest in it. After him came Cyrus Ingersoll Schofield, C.I. Schofield, who wrote the Schofield Reference Bible, inserting these teachings in it. And later it was agreed that this Bible, the Schofield Reference Bible, should be the one used in the seminaries of the Protestant churches where young men went to get trained to become pastors. So they would be taught this heresy and it would spread into the churches when they went on to pastor churches. Later, books were written promoting this teaching. The evangelical churches eventually made a movie entitled A Thief in the Night. And then Hollywood came along with a series, a sequel, the Left Behind series, which became popular movies watched by millions of people who now believe this deceptive teaching started and spread by the Roman Church and infiltrated into the Christian churches. While the system of Antichrist continues on, quietly working behind the scenes, preparing for what the Bible tells us will be coming, pointing all the evidence away from itself, and quietly even now setting things in place for the final fulfillment of Bible prophecy. And the leaders of the churches have swallowed it all, as I said before, hook, line, and sinker setting their congregations up for a big fall with this nonsense about a secret rapture while tribulations are getting ready to burst upon the world in a manner never seen before. And friends, this is just one of many other examples that can be shown. Examples of how many false teachings have been infiltrated into the churches. While many lazy pastors just go with the flu, Instead of earnestly searching and praying for enlightenment of the truth so they can guide their people, it's just like a show going on while the masses of the people are being set up for a fall. But here is the danger of all this. If you're living at the foot of a volcanic mountain and you're being told that it's okay, don't worry, it's safe, it's going to go on like this for another few hundred years before it erupts again, just don't worry about it. You live in a beautiful valley, in a nice house, there at the foot of the mountain. You have nothing to worry about. But what if indeed, while you are hearing and believing these things, the volcano is getting ready to erupt in a couple of weeks? You will be caught off guard. Because you have been led into believing that you are safe. You will be looking years down the road for the disaster to happen long after you are gone, when the danger is actually at your doorstep. You will not know what to expect and you will not be prepared. Understand, dear friends, 
the purpose of these studies is to let you know what is going on, what will be coming, and we will focus also on how do we prepare for it. The Bible says, For when they shall see peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman in labor, and they shall not escape. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 3. Friends, I will leave it right here for now. But I hope the question concerning this infiltration of the churches with false doctrines has been adequately addressed, at least with this one example. And there are many other examples that can be given. I hope that you at least get an idea which will start to open your eyes to the state of things as they really are. We're going to start a different chapter of the book of Daniel, which I did mention last week, but I felt compelled to answer this question this week. And so we're going to start Daniel 7 next week. And by the way, it promises to be quite an interesting journey. So hold on to your seats as we explore the things in God's word. But understand, dear friends, that God loves you. He cares dearly for every single one of you. And so he's doing everything to open your eyes to the truth so that you will understand his ways clearly and come to love him above all else and put your trust fully in him. And he has promised to keep you through the challenges ahead. For sure, Jesus Christ will return, dear friends, but it will not be a secret rapture. As the scripture says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. And so the Lord is calling you to be ready. To be ready not only to face the things that will happen in the world before he appears, but also so that in these times we can be wise and that we can be ready to take a stand for him and for the truth and to meet him in peace at his coming. So that instead of running to the rocks and mountains and screaming for them to fall upon us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, as the majority will be doing, instead, with overwhelming joy, we will be able to say, this is our God, we have waited for him, and he has come for us. Concerning the things that will be taking place in these last days, the prophet Daniel says, The wicked shall do wickedly, and the wicked shall not understand, but the wise will understand. So be wise, dear friends. Have a wonderful week, and next week we launch off into a whole new chapter. Love you all, and God bless you all.